0: Well, good morning again. Welcome to Mount Calvary. My name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor. It is a beautiful day. We are grateful to be together. A good football game last night for those Penn State fans. Uh, But we're thankful. What a a privilege, what a joy to come to remember Jesus, to worship spirit and in truth, to be together as a family um, of faith. It's a gift. is a gift. And if you're new here, we're so thankful that you're here. And we'd love to get to know you. You've come at the right time. It's an exciting season at our church as we look at what we're calling the discipleship journey. The question for us is, who are we as a church? And what are we about? And what are we going after? And what are we spending our time doing? And last week, I started talking about Jesus's call to make disciples as the call for the church. And if it's the call for the disciples and it's the call for the church, then everything we do is going to focus on what, what are we doing? How are we making disciples? And so, as we've thought about it and prayed about it as elders and staff and with the pastors, we've kind of boiled it down to three main ideas to be a disciple, to, to get on the discipleship journey. What do we do? We first have to become a disciple. We have to grow, then following that, grow as a disciple, and then go and make disciples. And I liked Ryan's illustration about Legos. I mean, that's a great illustration. Before we start talking about growing and fruit of the Spirit, and what does it look like to go and to make we have to start with what does it mean to become a disciple? Because before we understand that and get that right, we are wasting our time thinking through what does it mean to grow and to go and so last week we started talking about what does it mean to become a disciple and and this week we'll continue to talk about that and Ashley and i are planning a trip with our family probably not anytime time too soon but our kids really want to go visit some friends of ours who live in san diego california and we're like kids that's kind of far away uh, but we would love to go see these good friends from Virginia who now live in California. He was a pastor at my last church, and they are like an aunt and an uncle to to our kids. And they desperately want to go see Grant and Taylor. And so, as we've been talking about it, Ashley and I, we said, you know what? Instead of going directly to San Diego, what if we fly to Seattle? And this sounds like a great idea. Nothing could go wrong with our family of five. We rent a van or a bus or a trailer, and we get in our van, and we take our time visiting different spots down the coast, so Yosemite and Yellowstone, and see some of the cities, and take some hikes, and kind of take our time going down to San Diego to see Grant and Taylor. And we were telling our kids, and they're looking at us like, well, why wouldn't we just go to San Diego? Like, I don't know about these other places. Like, we want to see Grant and Taylor. We said, no, it's not about the destination, the end point. It's about the time together as a family. And they're like, no, I don't know. We're like, well, you have no choice. So we will go and we will have fun, forced fun. And it's so interesting how when Jesus talks about the journey of discipleship, it's not about the endpoint. It's never about the one-way ticket to San Diego. What does Jesus say all through the Gospels when he interacts with people and he calls people to himself? You know what he says? He says, follow me. He's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about the destination. It's really interesting. The disciples never say, like, "Like, where are we going, Jesus? Like, I'll follow you, but like, what are we doing? But that's not the focus. Jesus calls people to follow him. And it's not just about the destination, not to say that heaven's not important and beautiful and a wonderful gift, but it doesn't seem to be the focus of Jesus's call of discipleship. He wants people to follow him. And so as a church, we want to look at the gospels and we want to look at the New Testament. We need to say, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And the first thing we talked about last week was, what does it mean to become a disciple? That before you grow as a disciple, you have to become one. And how do you become one? I mean, this is basic, right? That you don't become a disciple because you were born into a really good family. You don't become a disciple because you go to a Christian school. You don't become a disciple because your parents have faith. You don't become a disciple because you're a pretty good person. Like, that's not the story of Jesus, and it's not the story of the New Testament. What does Jesus say over and over again? Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. In other words, be broken over the ways that you have offended and gone against God. Repent. Like, this is a story about you, and believe. Remember, we talked about your belief has to have content, the creed that we just... How does we just sang the song on? Like, believe in the content of the gospel, who Jesus is for you. That belief, general belief, is not enough. The content of your belief is more important than just your belief in general. And so, the starting point. As we look through the Gospels of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, the starting point is believing and repenting and being broken over our sin and clinging to Jesus, trusting and putting our faith in him. And it is a beautiful thing when people do that. Like we can't lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of the joy and the beauty of someone placing their faith in Jesus, being broken over their sin. I mean, one story that just, Brings me so much joy. It was years ago with a student. It was 4th of July. And I just remember the fireworks all around us. And talking with him. His name was Carter. His name's Carter. And he was he was broken over his sin. For the first time, like it just hit him that he was he was messed up. And his goodness and his church attendance and all the things that he had done in his life just weren't, it weren't enough. And for the first time that night on 4th of July, he he recognized that. And I shared the gospel about who Jesus is and who Jesus is for him and what Jesus did. And he wept and I wept. And we prayed through the fireworks. We prayed and he put his faith in Jesus. And that's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing when you realize who you are and what Jesus has done for you. And so the question for us this morning is: we just continue to think about becoming a disciple, what happens next like what happens and when we put our faith and our trust and we've repented and we believe in Jesus what comes next and for that we turn to God's word because again this is not my agenda on discipleship it's not my thoughts I want God what have you told us about following you because that's what I want to do and so let's look at Acts 16. We'll look at a lot of the book of Acts about what comes next when it comes to becoming a disciple. Acts 16 is, is one of my favorite stories. I mean, this, this story is incredible. Paul and Silas here in Acts 16 had been put in prison unjustly, persecuted. And you remember what they were doing in prison that night? Banging on the cells. Where's my lawyer? This is, a, no. No, they weren't doing that. This is unjust. What? No, they were praying and praising God. And here's what happens in verse 27. When the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. He and all his family. I mean, what a, what a story. What a turnaround. Instead of falling on his sword, what does he fall on? He falls on his face in prayer before God. As a Roman jailer, if the prisoners would have escaped, the Roman law said that he would be held responsible for their punishment. And so he sees the prison doors open and he assumes that they are, they're gone. And he assumes that he will receive capital punishment for their escape. And to save his family from the humiliation of what this would look like, he decides that it is best to kill himself. But what is so interesting to me, and this is, this is part, not really part of the sermon, but this just, well, it is part of the sermon. It's not tied to the topic. Why didn't they leave? why didn 't Paul and Silas leave they were praying, they were unjustly persecuted i mean you've got to be thinking praying that the doors would open like we 've got a mission and a ministry to go after like it 's time to go and to spread the gospel and the, they 're praying and the doors open like how would you read that as a signal from God about what you should do? Well, the doors are open, we were unjustly put here, we were sharing the gospel it 's time to go, but they don't go. Why don't they leave? Because clearly, God must have told them, we are opening these doors not for you to leave, but to share the truth with the jailer. And to share the gospel, believe. And repentance is part of believing. The jailer had repented. whether It doesn't say that, but he is broken over his sin. He says, I I want to believe, and that's what they tell him. Believe in the gospel. And what comes next? What comes next after faith? Well, verse 33, he does two things. First thing he does, and I've never really caught this, he washes their wounds. The first thing he does in the middle of the night, he cleans them up. Wounds that he caused. He humbles himself to care for them. But what's the second thing he does? He was baptized at once. He and all his family. I mean, that's just, that's amazing. But why, why so quick? Like, what, what's the rush? Like, can't you Wait. Can't you wait a few hours? Like at once in the middle of the night, immediately we will get baptized. And here's what we see in Acts. I mean, this is a consistent theme of what it means to have faith in Jesus. Immediately being baptized. Let's just look at a couple of these examples because it's all over every time almost every time someone comes to faith immediately following just like this jailer and his family there's immediate baptism acts 238 Peter preached repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and that day all those who believed were baptized 3000 people baptized and we'll come back to that passage believe in Jesus and be baptized immediately. Acts 8.12, Philip is preaching in Samaria with the Samaritans. Many believed, and what did they do? They were baptized immediately, men and women. Acts 8.36, we talked about the Ethiopian eunuch last week. Remember, Philip's teaching him Isaiah 53, and he shares the gospel with him through the teaching of the prophecy of Isaiah 53. And he believes. And the question that he asks after he puts his faith in Jesus, he says, what is preventing me from being baptized? Like, I mean, there is an urgency. I have put my faith in Jesus. Like, why am I waiting around? What, let's find a river and let's get baptized. Acts 9, with Paul and his salvation story. What's One of the first things he does, verse 18, immediately he gets up and he's baptized. Acts 10, Cornelius, with a large garrison of Roman soldiers, shares the gospel. People believe, these Roman soldiers believe, and what do they do next? It's the same question that the Ethiopian eunuch asked. What's, What's keeping me from being baptized? Why wait around? And immediately they were baptized. Acts 16 with Lydia in the church of Philippi, or the future church of Philippi. Lydia believes and she is baptized. Acts 18, Paul is in Corinth. The Corinthians believe. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believes together in his entire household, and they were baptized. So this is this is the story of Acts, that you put your faith in Jesus out of repentance and brokenness, and immediately you're, you're baptized. And so for us, the question is, is like why isn't this happening still today? How, why or how has this changed? When I was in high school, and I came to faith in Jesus, I was not immediately baptized. I went home, and I talked to my parents, and we we joined a church, and I had to take a class on baptism. I met with the pastor. I had to write my testimony. I had to schedule a date, invite my family and my friends. And it was over six months later that I was baptized. And, and I talk to, to people often about baptism for various reasons that we're not, we're not baptized. Perhaps you grew up in a tradition that didn't talk about baptism, Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, decades now, and the thought of being baptized doesn't seem meaningful to you. Maybe it doesn't really fit with your personality. Like it is a frightening thing to think about getting in front of all these scary people and jumping in the water and getting dunked. Like there's all sorts of reasons that we have for not being for not being baptized. And I'm not I'm not trying to to downplay the reasons. Like I understand I, I get it. It is It is tricky, and it is hard, and we have different things, different denominations that, that we have grown up in, and different fears, and different things that go on in our minds. But again, if we're going to talk about discipleship, biblical discipleship, biblically following Jesus, we can't skip over baptism. I mean, this is wedded. It's embedded to what it means to have faith in Jesus. And so this morning, we want to We want to think about what is is baptism? Why? Are we doing something wrong here? So three questions that I want to ask this morning. What's the significance of baptism? Why is baptism still the standard today, the standard practice? And then what is the symbol of baptism? So three S's, significance, standard. Why are we still doing baptism today today? And then what is the symbol of baptism? Let's pray and we'll jump into those questions. Father, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for the story of salvation, story of the jailer, story of Carter, story for my story, story of the people in this room, how you come and you save our lives. Physically, you saved the jailer's life. But you save our lives spiritually in so many ways, and we rejoice and we thank you, God. May we never, ever forget the beauty of salvation, that you saved me from my sin. But God, as we think about what does it look like to continue this, this idea of becoming a disciple God, I pray that you help us to continue to grow in our faith of what does it look like to walk as your disciple as we think about baptism, God, we pray, you know we this is a sensitive topic, and I understand that, but God, I pray that nothing will come above your word, nothing, our pride, our personality, our history or whatever it is, nothing gets above your word, but that we would be obedient to you. So help us. We need your help with that today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So what's the significance of baptism? Well, go back to Acts chapter two. If you have your Bibles open, go flip back to Acts chapter two. I want to kind of look at this sermon from Peter, the first, this first real significant baptism where 3,000 men were baptized kind of to set the scene here in Acts 2. I mean, I, I wish we could be just a fly on the wall in Acts 2. It, was, it would, would have been Pentecost, just a few weeks after Jesus was crucified. So, I mean, it was, it was a very tense time as it was at Pentecost. Uh, this was the most popular uh, of the festivals. Men would have come all, from all over the place, bringing their first fruits for sacrifice, Okay, and this is the scene they just crucified Jesus, so the, the same peep, Jewish men who went to the the Roman government and said, "We want you to crucify jesus. we're here at this festival and and the festival it's kind of a things are happening kind of weird. People are speaking in other languages, fires falling from the sky. I mean, some of the apostles are looking at what's happening here at the festival like, this is not normal. One of the apostles says, someone has been drinking way too much alcohol here. Like, this is not normal. And Peter senses what's happening that this is actually a movement of God. He stands up and he preaches the gospel. Verse 23 This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Skip down to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I mean, Peter is bringing the truth, you killed Jesus. And he is Lord and he is Christ. This is the son of God. And you, people in the crowd, you crucified Jesus. And as he is preaching boldly, I mean, he is boldly saying, you are the ones that have done this. Repentance starts to form in the hearts and the lives of these, of these people who are listening. Verse 37, they were cut to the heart. I mean, that's repentance. That's brokenness. Recognizing, yes, we've done this. Peter and They said to Peter, brothers, what shall we do? Peter responds, verse 38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone from the Lord our God calls to Himself. Repent and be baptized. He's saying, Be broken over what you have done. Believe Jesus is Christ and Lord and be baptized, and we have to just think for a minute, what would baptism have meant for these people, for these men? I mean, it was a very, it would have been a very public way to demonstrate what you believe. This was a hostile crowd. Not everyone believed, but to be baptized was to publicly say, this is what I believe. Believing was internal, repentance, internal, and when, he, when Peter says, and get up and get baptized, that was a public way of showing of what you just believed. It was a public way of showing. I'm for Jesus. I identify with Jesus. And for this crowd, it would have been hostile. It would have been dangerous. But what Peter is saying, he's saying, your faith is not private. It's not just in your heart and in your soul. Like, part of following Jesus is following Jesus publicly. And it's just interesting because this is not, you look at how Peter shared the gospel here. This isn't the, doesn't seem to be the typical way that we share the gospel today. I've been to many student camps over the years, right? And we wait till Friday night. Kids are exhausted. The lights go down. The fog machine goes up. Strum the guitar. Strum, strum, strum. Like, shut your eyes. Bow your heads. Like, we want to make this as simple as possible. We don't want you to be scared. We don't want you to be intimidated by all your friends are watching. So just between you and the Lord, repeat this prayer after me. And it's like, that's, and again, I was saved in that. Okay, so I love camp. I was saved on a Friday night at camp. Okay, but that doesn't seem to be what Peter is doing. Stand up, believe, and come up, come up, and let's get you in the water. Let's get you wet. Let's identify with Jesus publicly. One of my favorite camp speakers, uh, what he did was on Monday morning. It's Monday morning, first time he met the students, he said, We're going to do this right now. So here's the gospel don't bow your heads and don't shut your eyes. If you want to believe in Jesus, stand up right now. And was like, okay, okay. He's like, listen, we follow Jesus. We do it publicly. There's no private belief. There's no private Christianity. That's, that's not how it works. There's no secret Christians. To believe in Jesus is to be a public witness for Jesus. Turn to Jesus inwardly, you turn to Jesus outwardly. And and to not turn to Jesus outwardly or publicly is to not turn to Jesus. Those aren't aren't my words. Jesus says this, Matthew 10. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Part of becoming a disciple is is not just believing internally, but by saying, I am a witness for Jesus. And what is the, the, the decisive act of beginning your life as a public witness for Jesus? It's baptism. That's the decisive first act that kicks off your life as a public witness for Jesus. And so here's our question. Well, Why, why is this still the standard today? I get this often. Like, why are we still baptizing people today? Like, do I have to be baptized to be a public witness? That's probably a better way of saying it. Like, I, can be a pub, like I get being a public witness is part of, the, part of the package deal of following Jesus, but I can do that in a lot of ways, Matt. I can share my testimony. I can say something on Facebook. I can do, I, I've been a public, or, or I sometimes hear, I've been a public Outspoken believer, my whole life for decades. And so, why would I go back now and be baptized at this point? Another question that I hear is well, why is Acts, is the book of Acts telling us how to do this idea of discipleship? Or is it just describing what happened in the book of Acts? And that's a really good question. Like, is Acts describing what happened in the first church, but not prescribing? What we are to do as the church today, I mean we don't do everything that that the first church does in the book of Acts, so when they were replacing the disciple with Math- Matthias, you remember how they did that in Acts chapter one, they cast lots when you called me as a pastor did you did you roll the dice? Well, yeah, you did, not literally in other ways you did, but so like we don't do everything that the 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 church of Acts does. And so the question for us is, well, why is it the standard then? How do we know? Are we still, does this still mean something today? And these are good things to think about. So we've got to study God's word. And one of the principles that I was taught long ago on these types of issues, when we're trying to prescribe something from the church of Acts, trying to apply a piece of Scripture to us today, it is really important that we let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. In other words, do we see outside of the book of Acts the practice of baptism happening? Is there legitimate ground in the ministry of Jesus and in the epistles, and in the book of Acts, to say to us, to, to, so that we can interpret it, that this is still for us today. And I think you would know the answer. Yeah. Jesus was baptized. Mark 1, 9 through 11. Jesus came and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. John tells us why Jesus was baptized in John chapter 1, verse 31 and 32. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Again, it's a public witness. Why was Jesus baptized? To to speak volumes to the Israelites that I am the prophesied son of God. And so Jesus was baptized in the ministry of the, the disciples with Jesus in John 4. I mean, they were baptizing people. They were baptized. That was part of what it meant to be a disciple. The Great Commission, which we've talked a lot about, Jesus said to them, came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay, one command. You you guys know this by now. One command. Make disciples. Four participles. Four ways of, of accomplishing the one command in the Great Commission. Four ways. The first one is you've got to go. The second way, how do you make disciples? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How do you make disciples? It is through baptism. Paul and the epistles talk a lot about baptism in Colossians and 1 Peter and Romans 6, which we'll look at. But I think the answer is yes, yes. This isn't just the first church in Acts, but this is a picture of the New Testament of being a disciple of Jesus meant you were baptized publicly stating, I will follow Jesus. And so now, what is the symbol of baptism? Because it should go without saying, well, it should, I should say it. Baptism isn't required for salvation, but it is, it is. the concept is important. Publicly, you have to be his witness Do you have to be, is it required to be baptized? Well, we know with the thief on the cross, when Jesus turned and looked at him, today you'll be with me in paradise, but actually before that, let's get you down, let's clean you up, let's get you in the water, get you baptized, then I'll I'll see you. No, he doesn't say you've got to do these things first. I will see you in paradise. He wasn't baptized. But it is a significant symbol of, of who we are in Jesus. It is so sacred and important. I was at a wedding yesterday, officiating. Ashley and I went down for a wedding in Virginia, and I was officiating the wedding for some former students. And I love weddings. They're just, it's, it's so beautiful. It was hot. It was outside. It was hot, but it was pretty, sweaty. Um, and But there's so much symbolism in, in, a, in a wedding with the father bringing down his daughter down the aisle with the vows and the rings and the flowers and all these really beautiful symbols in a wedding, okay? But, but you don't have to do those things, right? Like it, it's not a requirement to get married. You must have this kind of ceremony. It's a symbol. This same couple had come and spent the day with Ashley and I a couple months earlier to talk through marriage and what, what that looked like and You know, I was thinking. You know, we could get married right here, save some time, some money. Like we got kids and dogs as witnesses. Like we can do this. Like just let's just do it right now. Like there's nothing saying we can't do that. You make your vows. You have your marriage certificate. Like we can get married right now. And they looked up. Like you're crazy. Like no. Like we're not doing that. The the ceremony is significant. Is it required? No, it's not required. But it is a significant and important piece of showing and valuing what you're doing. And this is what baptism is. It's a symbol, a beautiful historical symbol that through the centuries the church has practiced to say, this is who I am. And so what's the symbol of baptism? There's, there's many, but we'll look at just three briefly here. First, baptism is a symbol That we are united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And this would probably be the most fundamental symbol of what's happening in baptism. That you are saying, you are are giving a picture when you get dunked under the water, buried with Christ in his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. You are being a visual aid of your union with Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 4 is the passage to go to in baptism. Do you not know that all of you have been baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? I mean, Paul is saying, it's, he's not saying you're saved by baptism. He's saying baptism is the symbol. You're justified by faith. And what baptism is, is it's showcasing It's an illustration of who you are in Jesus. It is a a picture of the gospel. That you get what Jesus gets. You are in union with Jesus. Jesus died and he was buried and he was resurrected. and And you are now a part of that. Through faith, you get what Jesus gets. Death is no longer because you are in union. You are standing behind in the shadow of Jesus and you get what he gets. Death no longer has a sting. Death no longer has a power. It was paid for at the cross and you get that. And what baptism is, it's showing that. You have joined together with Jesus in his death and in his burial and now in his resurrection. Also, that you have a new life in Christ. In Scripture, in the New Testament, we, this picture of being baptized by the Spirit. Okay, that's a pretty predominant picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon your life at salvation, when you believe, the Spirit comes and takes over your life, and you have this new life in Jesus. And it's the picture is baptism. It's a washing. It's a giving of new life. Romans six four. The little phrase that it says, so that we too might walk in the newness of life in Jesus. You have a new new heart because of the Holy Spirit. And listen, you have a new life in Jesus. Like you can't, we, we can't discount that. Like you are changed, Ezekiel. It's the prophecy of Ezekiel. Your heart of stone has been removed. The Holy Spirit has come and given you a heart, a flesh, and now you live this new life. And what baptism proclaims that, you were risen to walk in the newness of life. Thirdly, it's a picture of us being cleansed and washed from sin. Acts 22, 16, and now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Baptism doesn't, doesn't actually wash away your sins. But when you take a bath, it cleanses you. It's a picture of the spiritual cleansing that we have because of Jesus. And so we are reminding the people publicly, everyone who can see us, that in Jesus, our sins are washed away. And baptism is a picture of that. And so for us, as we, as we close this morning, the, the three pretty simple questions. Have you been baptized? If you're following Jesus and you love him and you want to be his disciple, it's hard to get around baptism. It really is to, to say, well, this is just not my, my thing. But my question for you, the same question that they asked twice in the book of Acts, like what's keeping you from being baptized? Why, why wait? Whether you've been a Christian forever for decades uh, or you've been a Christian for three days, um, you know, are you ready to take the public stand for Jesus? Even if you already are, I think it's important to be obedient to the call of Christ, even if you are already publicly standing for Jesus. And listen, I'll, I'll baptize you next Sunday. I'll baptize you. I mean, we don't have to wait around. I'd love to have a conversation with you to talk about it, to talk about your faith story. But, but I would love to see people walk as, as we focus on discipleship as a church say i want to be obedient to christ but for for many of you you've been baptized as a kid and or as an adult and we're not about rebaptizing. And like we're not that's not what we're doing like we're not it's not it's not like even if it was a long time ago and you don't remember like if you had put your faith in jesus and you had repented and you were a believer and you were baptized like we're not about i'm not re-baptizing people um but the question for you is if you feel like you want to get rebaptized, the, the, the better question is, is well, how can you be a better witness for Jesus? If you've been baptized, are you a witness for Jesus today? Share your testimony. I'd love to have you share your testimony. But how are you doing at being a witness? Because again, following Jesus is not internal, not just internal, it's very public. And so for us, how are we still living? as baptized wet Christians? Like, are we witnessing for Jesus to our spouse and to our kids and our coworkers, our neighbors? Like, is it obvious to the people in your life that you are a public follower of Jesus? And then lastly, are you daily trusting in the symbol of baptism? Daily trusting, in in other words, it's an event. You get baptized. It's a, it's a one-moment thing, but it is a daily thing to be reminded of the symbol of baptism. In other words, that your security and your worth and your ability is in nothing other than the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. So I invite you to trust in Jesus, daily trust in him, trust in what you did at baptism. Remember what you did at baptism. Remember the symbol of baptism. Jesus has done everything on your behalf for you. And may that be our trust. May that be our anchor. Let's pray. Father,